Welcome to Exploring the Catechism of the Council of Trent in a Year. I'm Mark Langley, and I'm so happy you've joined me as we continue our study of this catechism, and in particular, our study of the Creed, which forms the very first section of the catechism. We are continuing to study the very first article out of the 12 articles of our faith, I Believe in God the Father Almighty. And in our last episode, we were talking about the specific word Father, credo in unum deum patrem. We're talking about the word patrem or Father. And in the last episode, we talked about four ways that we think about God as being our Father from the standpoint of the creature to the Creator. Uh, we said that God is our Father by the similitude of the trace that all creatures have of the Creator. We said that God is our Father by the similitude of His image. We are created in God's image and likeness. We also said that God is our Father by the similitude of grace that we receive through baptism. We, we um, are receive the very life of God in our souls through grace. And finally, we are we can call God our Father through the similitude of glory. And today we are going to finish up our discussion of the word Father by talking about how the word Father reveals something about God himself. The Catechism says that the pastor should teach that on hearing the word Father, besides the ideas already unfolded, the mind should rise to more exalted mysteries. Under the name Father, the divine oracles begin to unveil to us a mysterious truth which is more abstruse and more deeply hidden in that inaccessible light in which God dwells, and which human reason and understanding could not attain to, nor even conjecture to exist. The name implies that in one essence of the Godhead is proposed to our belief not only one person, but a distinction of persons. For in one divine nature there are three persons, the Father, begotten of none, the Son, begotten of the Father, before all ages, the Holy Ghost proceeding from the Father, and the Son likewise from all eternity. And so therefore we see that the word Father reveals something to us about the very uh, life of God and the way God exists in himself. And so, as promised in the last episode, we're going to talk something, we're going to talk very briefly about um, some of these things uh, that St. Thomas Aquinas talks about in the Summa, We'll talk very briefly about the, the notion of um, what what a person is and what uh, the uh, various processions in God and the relations in God, and finally the five notions. We'll just touch very briefly on each of these things. And so first let's begin by reading from the Catechism of the Council of Trent in this section. In my edition, it's page 22, and the subheading is The Doctrine of the Trinity. And so we read, In the one substance of the divinity, the Father is the first person, who with his only begotten Son and the Holy Ghost is one God and one Lord, not in the singularity of one person, but in the trinity of one substance. These three persons, since it would be impiety to assert that they are unlike or unequal in anything, are understood to be distinct only in their respective properties. For the Father is begotten, the Father is unbegotten, the Son begotten of the Father, and the Holy Ghost proceeds from both. Thus we acknowledge the essence and the substance of the three persons 
to be the same in such wise that we believe that in confessing the true and eternal God we are piously and religiously to adore distinction in the persons, unity in the essence, and equality in the Trinity. Hence, when we say that the Father is the first person, we are not to be understood to mean that in the Trinity there is anything first or last, greater or less, lest none of the faithful be guilty of such impiety, for the Christian religion proclaims the same eternity, the same majesty of glory in the three persons. But since the Father is the beginning without a beginning, we truly and unhesitatingly affirm that he is the first person, and as he is distinct from the others by his peculiar relation of paternity, so of him alone is it true that he begot the Son from eternity. For when in the creed we pronounce together the words God and Father, it means that he was always both God and Father. And so that's the uh, that's sort of a big paragraph in the, in the Catechism concerning the Trinity. Um, afterwards, there follows some uh, practical admonitions concerning the mystery of the Trinity. Um, we'll read that as well right now, but then I want to return to that very that first paragraph and talk a little bit more about um, the doctrines of the Trinity um, in just just so we touch on them and uh, try to say what we can in a brief manner. Um, but the Catechism is clearly very concerned about um, not speaking lightly of this great mystery and of certainly of not making mistakes. For it reads, Since nowhere is a too curious inquiry more dangerous or error, or error more fatal than in the knowledge and exposition of this, the most profound and difficult of mysteries, let the pastor teach that the terms nature and person used to express this mystery should be most scrupulously retained, and let the faithful know that unity belongs to essence and distinction to persons. But these are truths which should not be made the subject of too subtle investigation, when we recollect that he who is a searcher of majesty shall be overwhelmed by glory. We should be satisfied with the assurance and certitude which faith gives us that we have been taught these truths by God himself, to doubt whose word is the extreme of folly and misery. He has said, Teach ye all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. And again, there are three who give testimony in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Let him, however, who by the divine bounty believes these truths, constantly beseech and implore God and the Father, who made all things out of nothing, and ordereth all things sweetly, who gave us power to become the sons of God, and who made known to the human mind the mystery of the Trinity, let him, I say, pray unceasingly that, admitted one day into the eternal tabernacles, he may be worthy to see how great is the fecundity of the Father, who, contemplating and understanding himself, begot the Son, like and equal to himself, how a love of charity in both entirely the same and equal, which is the Holy Ghost, proceeding from the Father and the Son, connects the begetter and the begotten by an eternal and indissoluble bond, and that thus the essence of the Trinity is one and the distinction of the three persons perfect. And so we see that the Catechism of the Council of Trent um, goes to great lengths to warn the faithful that a mistake about the very, very highest things is the most fatal of errors. 
and um, it's very careful to uh, speak clearly and truly about the Trinity, of course, um, but without um, without tempting the faithful to inquire too much into things which are simply beyond the grasp of human reason. Um, and so that's why I think it uses the words, uh, the faithful shouldn't be too curious. Uh, to some, this might sound like the Catechism of the Council of Trent is trying to discourage study and wonder about these things, but I think that's um, not at all the intent here. I think it's trying to warn the faithful that none but those who are really prepared to study theology uh, should engage in the study um, lightly, that anyone who undertakes a study like this needs to be aptly prepared, and certainly uh, certainly study the Trinity through the words of St. Thomas. So I think it's, it's trying to, um, rather than discourage wonder, it's trying to discourage uh, insincere curiosity or um, trying to discourage someone who's really not ready for such a great study to um, um, involve himself before he's ready. But let's see if we can return to the Summa Theologica and uh, talk about certain things that St. Thomas says so clearly there. And in our last episode, we talked about how we can sort of learn to count on one hand um, with respect to the Trinity, that we say there's one God. And then we say there's two processions, three persons, four relations, and five notions. I just want to touch on each one of those uh, briefly. And uh, first, um, let's talk about the idea about the two processions in God. And this notion of procession is in the first part of the Summa Theologica, question 27. In the very first article, St. Thomas asks, whether there is procession in God. And in that article, he shows us that, yes, there is procession in God, but he carefully distinguishes the procession to something external to God um, and says that, no, the processions are internal. So there is, there's one procession, which is an intellectual procession, and the other procession proceeds from God's will. And so he says in this very first article, he says that in the last paragraph of the body, he says, as God is above all things, we should understand what is said of God, not according to the mode of the lowest creatures, namely bodies, but from the similitude of the highest creatures, the intellectual substances. While even the similitudes derived from these fail short or fall short in the representation of divine objects, Procession, therefore, is not to be understood from what it is in bodies, either according to local movement or by way of a cause proceeding forth to its exterior effect, as, for instance, like heat from the agent to the thing made hot. Rather, it is to be understood by way of an intelligible emanation, for example, of the intelligible word which proceeds from the speaker yet remains in him. In that sense, the Catholic faith understands procession as existing in God. 
And so St. Thomas, uh, rather than say, uh, he carefully distinguishes the idea that um, we think of uh, heat proceeding from fire and warming an object close to the fire. He's saying that's an external procession. Um, but in God, we speak about processions as being completely within him. So, for example, he compares this um, in another place um, to the idea that when we know something, we form, we form an, an image of that thing, and from that image proceeds an internal word. Here he uses the word not to be the spoken word, which is sort of the external word. But St. Thomas says that the knower forms within himself an internal word of the thing known. And so that, of course, is uh, matches up so wonderfully with uh, St. John's Gospel when he says, in the beginning was the word, um, signifying that in God himself, there is a knowledge of himself, which is an, which is an internal word. And so we can see that when God knows himself, there is a procession of the internal word, and that's the very first procession. Uh, St. Thomas uh, talks a little bit later in the third article of question 27. He says, whether there's any procession in God other than the procession of the word. And I'll just read you the body of that article, very short. He says, I answer that there are two processions in God, the procession of the word and another. In evidence whereof we must observe that procession exists in God only according to an action which does not tend to anything external, but remains in the agent itself. Such action in an, intel in an intellectual nature is that of the intellect and of the will. The procession of the word is by way of an intelligible operation. The operation of the will within ourselves involves also another procession, that of love, whereby the object loved is in the lover. As by the conception of the word, the object spoken of or understood is in the intelligent agent. Hence, besides the procession of the word in God, there exists in him another procession called the procession of love. And so there, just very briefly, we see St. Thomas identifies two processions in God, a, an intellectual procession that we call the Word, and then another procession uh, that he says is the procession of love. And so obviously we can see the origins of the, of the uh, or we can see some understanding here that we can have of the, um, of the Holy Trinity, uh, which is obviously the, the Father, um, in a sense, um, by knowing himself, uh, the procession of the Word, which we will call the Son, and from both of the Father and the Son, we will have a procession, which is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. Um, so, after that, uh, St. Thomas talks about persons and the idea of the person. He quotes St. Boethius when Boethius defines person. 
Um, that's one of the extraordinary contributions to Catholic theology and philosophy that the uh, Boethius um, um, contributed. I think Boethius was in the third or fourth century. I can't remember exactly when his dates were, but he's famous for his contribution of this extraordinary definition where he defines the human person. And he says that the person is an individual's substance of a rational nature. And so it's, it will be upon his definition that St. Thomas and the Catholic Church understands the idea of three persons in one God. Uh, again, Boethius says as the person is an individual substance of a rational nature. And so I think at this point, I would like to simply talk, we, we talked about the two processions and St. Thomas establishes that there are three persons in God. Um, at this point, I, I'd like to simply talk about the four relations in God. And simply speaking, St. Thomas shows us that the relations, once you have two processions, then we can deduce quickly that because each procession has a sort of an origin and a terminus, then because there are two processions, each one there's sort of it's like a, it's like there are two lines and each line has two endpoints. Therefore, if I have two lines, I have four endpoints. I think that's kind of a sim simple way of thinking about it, but the the idea is that therefore um, there must be four relations. So, for example, um, humanly speaking, if if I have a father, then I am a son, and so there's the relation of father to son, and and the relation of son to father. Those are two relations that come from one procession, and so Saint Thomas explains that. With the procession of the word, we have the notion, we have the relation of paternity, namely the um, relation of the father to that which proceeds from him, as the as the knowledge of himself. And then from the other uh, point, we have the relation of filiation, uh, from the Latin word filius, which means son. And then from the father and son precedes this, the Holy Spirit, which is a procession of love. And so St. Thomas calls the, the origin of that procession, he calls that when the Father and the Son, so to speak, um, when they uh, love the, um, as, as, lo as the lover, is in the as the loved is in the lover, he calls that common spiration. And then there's no name we can give to the other end of that line except for the word procession. So Saint Thomas, it's almost if we say the Holy Ghost is the procession, and the Father and the Son relate to the Holy Ghost as common spirators. So therefore we have these four relations, uh, paternity, filiation, common spiration, and procession. And I know that's all very, um, uh, 
I didn't explain that very well. I apologize for that. Uh, but uh, I thought we'd just touch on that. And this can all be found in the Summa in question 32, where he talks about these things. But finally, the final thing we wanted to talk about are, the, are this, this idea of five notions in God. And this is question 32 in the third article. St. Thomas says, whether there are five notions. And I'm just going to read the uh, part of the body of that. First of all, he defines the idea of a notion. And he starts the body by saying, a notion is the proper idea whereby we know a divine person. So that's what a notion is. It's the proper idea whereby we know a divine person. And then he proceeds, Now the divine persons are multiplied by reason of their origin. An origin includes the idea of someone from whom another comes, and of someone that comes from another. And by these two modes, a person can be known. He says, Therefore the person of the Father cannot be known by the fact that he is from another, but by the fact that he is from no one. And thus the notion that belongs to him is called innoshability. Uh, that's from the Latin word, uh, nascor, nashi, which means to, to be born. So the father is, is not begotten. So we think of him as being known by the notion of innoshability. But as the source of another, he can be known in two ways, because as the son is from him, the father is known by the notion of paternity. And as the Holy Ghost is from him, he is known by the notion of common spiration. The Son can be known as begotten by another, and thus he is known by filiation, and also by another person proceeding from him, the Holy Ghost, and thus he is known in the same way as the Father, by common spiration. The Holy Ghost can be known by the fact that he is from another, or from others, thus he is known by procession, but not, by, but not by the fact that another is from him, as no divine person proceeds from him. And so St. Thomas concludes, Therefore there are five notions in God, innoshability, paternity, filiation, common spiration, and procession. And then he says, Of these only four are relations, for innoshability is not a relation, except by, except by reduction, as will appear later. Four only are properties, for common spiration is not a property because it belongs to two persons. Three are personal notions, i.e. constituting persons, paternity, filiation, and procession. Common spiration and innoshability are called notions of persons, but not personal notions, as we shall explain further on. So this is all from question 32, article 3. And... Um, I hesitated to uh, just read those things, but I think it's of great interest for all of us as we um, talk about the Trinity. There's so much that we can, uh, so much that we can learn, even though this mystery is completely beyond human comprehension. But that doesn't mean that uh, we can't approach um, the beginnings of understanding with it. Um, so I just think that that's a wonderful. Uh, study this this whole question and um, I certainly intend to read it again and again and again to know to understand uh, what St. Thomas is saying and, and the light that he can shed on the Holy Trinity for us. And so this of course is a difficult part of the catechism, but it's fascinating to think that 
um, that the catechism is saying that, you know, when we say every Sunday, when we say in the creed, I believe in God, the Father, to, to think that wrapped up in that one word are all of these things, all of these reasons why we call God our Father from the point of the view of the uh, creature to the creator. And then, of course, what that word uh, reveals or contains um, all by itself concerning God himself and the trinity of persons. Um, the our Catholic faith is full of um, wondrous mysteries. And when we say the creed, to see that the um, there are wise fathers of the church and doctors of the church and the apostles um, have encapsulated the entire doctrine of our faith, all of these these simple words that we teach our children and that we say uh, is really wonderful, and so um, and so uh, that's that's all we're going to say though today about about the Father. I believe in God the Father. We're we're going to wrap up our study of that word, and we're going to move on in our next episode to the word Almighty, Credo in Unum Deum Patrum Omnipotentum, and we're going to have a wonderful discussion about what the word almighty means and maybe look at uh, St. Thomas in the Summa where he demonstrates that God is omnipotent. And so that's all for now. I thank you for joining me in this episode of exploring the Catechism of the Council of Trent in a year. I'm Mark Langley and please join me next time as we for day 10 when we talk about the word almighty in our creed. Thank you.